how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of Creator Support. On today's episode, we're talking about a new campus for creators that's opening up in our backyard. We also respond to a quote from Yes Theory that we feel beautifully captures what it means to be a YouTube creator. Then we talk about how to decide which idea you should choose to turn into a video. All right, if you make it to the deep end, let us know. All right, man, final stretch of the year for us. This is, wait, is this one of our last recordings? Wait. In person. It is. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Whoa, crazy. Um, well, I'm actually off uh, taking an international trip starting next week. We will still have episodes coming at the end of this year. Um, but yeah, I think one of our last times recording here. What a year it's been. Where did 2023 go? I know. It feels actually really wild. People say that every year, though, Yeah, I right? guess people say that No one year. gets to the yeah. end of the year and is like, well, this one was long and really dragged out. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe, actually. Yeah, maybe. maybe. You're right. Um, well, as we approach the end of this year, um, we had an announcement uh, of a project that we're involved in that went live this week. Yeah, went live in an article in Fast Company. The project is called The Lighthouse. And this is a project that is near and dear to us and actually in our backyard. So mm -hmm. we record in Venice. We've been Venice-based for a while now. And this is a project, uh, a home, a physical space for creators opening next either spring or summer in the old post office, a really cool historic building in Venice Beach. So let's tell a little bit of a, uh, a background of how this project came together. So the project's put on by a company called Whaler. Whaler is a, um, uh, you know, creator talent management as well uh, as like uh, advertising agency. They do, they have like six different parts of their business. Um, but the founders are really great. We've played paddle tennis with them before, Neil and James, um, became good friends with them over the past couple of years. And Neil was, was pitching us this idea of, hey, what if I created like a home for creators, like a campus for creators that had studios in it and places to learn and for me, I was like, okay, conceptually, it's a cool idea. We had a lot of different dinners where I was like, listen, YouTube Space has tried this before. Um, it has to be different. And we just started getting to talking. And then one day, Neil was like, hey, why don't you meet me here and come see, come see this building I've been looking at? And from the second I walked into that building, I looked around and I was like, holy shit. Like, I, I could see it. Mm -hmm. And... You know, one thing that we've talked about quite a bit over the past 12 years of our career, even today, it's a very isolating career to be a creator. Even though we have a team, you, you kind of end up in a, in a bubble. And when I stepped into the space, I looked around, it's got a you know, massive upstairs, downstairs, and Neil painted the vision for me of, uh, you know, there, there's spaces to record, there's a big um, lecture hall. There's uh, meeting rooms, there's private offices, there's a coffee shop. And I, I looked at it and I was like, oh, this, this could be like the modern studio lot. This could be the space 
that for me personally, I've always dreamed of, of getting to go to a place where everyone is working on creative projects and everyone is learning from each other. And that was incredibly exciting. And the project started to become a lot more real when we saw the physical space. Then when we went to the Brooklyn space, you and I, that was an even more surreal experience because it was like, whoa, there's another one on, on another coast that actually was even more built out. And it had this incredible or has this incredible theater room in it that we sat in and we were like, oh, we could screen pieces of content here and people could watch and it could, it could respect, the space can usher in the professionalism that I think the creator economy deserves. Yeah. I mean, and, speaking of the theater, each space, each campus yeah. will have a theater. And there are so many elements of the space and the plans for these spaces that, as you're talking about, just spoke to so many parts of our creator journey. Right. For me specifically, thinking about all of the nights I spent editing in my studio apartment mm. on my bed. Yeah. And then, like, getting up alone at at like two in the morning going to get a snack. There's nothing more isolating than like <laughs> staring at a screen for totally. six hours in your studio apartment. And I think a lot of creators when they're getting started out experience that isolation. Mm -hmm. And and that the, the problem with that is if you don't have a sense of community, if you don't have human response to what you're doing, sometimes comments and views, they're just not enough. Yeah. Like you need validation from people in person that you respect. That's number one. And number two, you need people uh, to learn from. For you and I, uh, we struggled for multiple years, and then a huge inflection point was meeting and working with Yes Theory here in mm -hmm. Venice and getting to see guys who were, uh, in terms of their YouTube journey, years ahead of us in terms of success. Like We got to see some of their huge milestones and markers. We got to work on their projects. We worked on projects that allowed us to screen work in person at their studio and see what that feels like. So to look at, you know, the Venice campus and the Brooklyn campus and envision a future where we're screening work, we're learning from other creators, we're editing alongside other creators uh, and getting to screen work and share insights and learning together. It just made so much sense to me. Mm -hmm. And I think... Like you said, it wasn't until I walked into the buildings that I was truly sold. I think if you're going to open up physical space for creators, you better respect the physical space. Yeah. You know, it can't just be like a corporate sure. building somewhere. It can't just be any building. There needs to be history. There needs to be a reason why uh, you would want to be creative in that space. Yeah. I think that's that's the thing is these, these two spaces really inspire creativity and um, even as we started to talk further about the project and refer to them as campuses and recognize that there was a really big emphasis on education. And even as we're starting to get into education and build out courses, like the, the opportunity to do some of that in person, you know, I've talked about it before. I'm in improv class right now. If that was a digital learning experience, it feels like it would not be the same. What's really exceptional about it is that I go to a place, I'm with other people, we're learning together. That to me is is what makes learning real. So, you know, as of right now, the uh, the announcement that came out, uh, this is a membership model, meaning like a creator. If you're interested in this, you will pay a membership, and that membership right now is listed at uh, five thousand seven hundred fifty dollars a year. 
So it, it's it's for the professional creator. It's for the uh, creative individual who who looks at that and is like, oh, that can be my office expense. I don't need an office all the time. You know, I want to I want to come in and out of L.A. and New York, or I want a space to come work out of, and I want there to be recording facilities for me. Like that is what this is for. And obviously that'll take shape over the next year, but it's been a really exciting project to work on. Um, our involvement, we are the co-chairs of the Creator Council. So our job is to look at membership uh, for creators, what types of creators become members, uh, what type of programming gets put into this place, what type of education, what type of brand partnerships, and just make sure that the space actually builds for creators. Um, that's a really important thing. You know, like when we were talking to Neil about it, a lot of businesses say they're building for creators, but only a few of them are actually building alongside creators. Um, so, you know, us being involved, that is that is our involvement. Uh, we'll also have a space in, in the Venice studio. Um, I think it's going to be really fun. It's a, oh, man. it's a great event space. Like, uh, go to thelighthouse.com if you're interested in looking into more of this. Um, but yeah, I, I can't wait for these to open and for there to be a space for creators to come hang out. Speaking of that experience, especially that early experience, like I was talking about, of editing mm -hmm. in my bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> the experience of being a YouTube creator, I thought was so beautifully captured in the new Yes Theory book uh, written by Matt called Talk to Strangers. Mm -hmm. And I took a screenshot of this quote and I shared it in our Slack and I want to share it with all of you. It reads, becoming a full-time YouTuber comes with certain obligations. It requires crafting the story of your life over living it. It means having your personality subjected to the opinions of people you'll never meet. And most of all, in order for it to work, it demands a constant obsessive attention. That hit me like a ton of bricks, specifically that last line. And most of all, in order for it to work, it demands a constant obsessive attention. I don't know if truer words have been written about how YouTube works. You know, I, I agree. I, I had never, ever heard someone put a sentence together about what it's like to, to make a YouTube channel work. And I want to caveat that this quote, these three sentences are just a very small part of a much bigger book about how incredible it is to be a YouTube creator and the journey that it can take you on and the people mm -hmm. you can meet. Uh, but it's also about some of the hardships. Yeah, for, for context, Matt decided to leave. Yes, there and leave YouTube. And, and this book was kind of his goodbye letter. Um, and it's it's a beautiful love letter to YouTube. And the story of how Yes Theory came together and the serendipity and the like, it's 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 really incredible. But um I I think there's a lot of uh truth in in what Matt just wrote here. You know, I've felt this for the past what, 12 years that we've been doing this? I've said this many times, but I don't think there's a week that's gone by that I haven't thought about YouTube. Of course. I don't think Maybe, there's a day. Not a day, right? Like, And specifically what we could be doing better on YouTube, what, what, how we could change a thumbnail, how we could develop a new format, how we could edit a video differently. Like everything is, all of that is on my mind. And I, I was actually recently at this uh, event with a bunch of YouTube creators and the thing that we were talking about was this, really weird feeling when you're at an event and you have this nagging feeling in the back of your head of like, there's something I could be doing right now to, to grow the channel. Like there is something. 
I could be doing and I'm choosing to not. It's a very, I think that is like one of the pieces that makes it that such a constant amount of attention. Yeah, it, it was Eric who said on our channel, as a creator, you're only capped. Your earning potential is yeah. capped only by your willingness to work. Yeah. That really like you always can put in more effort to pull a lever mm -hmm. to find more viewership, to make more money, to grow the business. So is there a way to do YouTube? Like what, what is the healthy way to, to build a YouTube career? I mean, the only way I know is to have a creative partner and people around me. <laughs> right. I truly, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what it's like to do it on your own. And I'm sure Matt feels that way a bit too of not being able to see a version where he does this alone. Right. You know, he ha has a big community around him and specifically the other guys in the group. Do you have any insight on how to do it <laughs> in a healthy way? Uh, I think this year specifically, I've I've like redeveloped a relationship with with YouTube a bit, but I still like. I think as a creator, you're inherently the the second you lose a bit of that desire to evolve, change, and up level what you're doing, you might just fall out of it, right? Or maybe that's the fear. I just think it does. I I I think this is a true statement. Like in order for it to work, it depends a constant obsessive attention. Like I think that might just be the truth. I don't know if there's another way to do it. And I think as we go into next year and think about, you know, we we are heavily developing new formats now, which I'm really excited about. And as I look down the the lens of us developing new formats and some of the plans we have in the first three months of the year, I'm like, whoa that's intense. Like that's going to be an intense, an intense three months that's going to require a hundred percent of our attention. Yeah. I, what I find to be so true about that last line is that, you know, sure, starting other businesses, it, it demands constant obsessive attention. But I feel like some of those businesses get easier over time. And this one still demands this constant obsessive attention Yeah, in a way that I don't know other businesses do at times when you're able to scale them because these are for the most part unscalable it's true creator businesses there are ways and there are some channels that do it but it's difficult I'm, I'm curious what you think about some of the lines that come before that last one it requires crafting the story of your life over living it i find that that to be more true for some creators than others mm. for you and i with this format, with a podcast and what our channel is, it's a very true representation of who we are, but it's still a small window of who we are. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we're intentionally crafting a story of our life, but there is a story of our life yeah, that is unfolding, that is very powerful. It's a window. And I'm, I'm not actively working to build the other stories in my life to, to be like, let me try and have a full perfect picture of what I feel represents my whole life on the internet. Mm -hmm. We, you and I just have a portion of our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this would stress me out quite. I think I, I would not be capable. I've desired to vlog before, but I don't think I would be capable of it. Um, I do think there's a story and a narrative of our brand 
that constantly needs to be crafted, Mm -hmm. right? And needs to be taken care of and needs to be thought of as we're starting to launch new projects or get connected to new projects. Like there's a lot of storytelling that needs to happen um, in the industry or in to our audience that needs to be really clear cut. But yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I'm storytelling about my life. I actually have talked about this with a ton of creators. Like I'm so incredibly happy. We found a format where I can be myself, be a hundred percent myself. I don't feel like I'm acting, which is amazing. Now this next line similarly, I think affects some creators more than others. Yeah. I do think it holds true for us. It means having your personality subjected to the opinions of people you'll never meet. As much as you and I can say that we are maybe not impacted by comments, it does impact how we go about our day, how we think about what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they don't have to be, it doesn't have to be the most you know, offensive comment of all time, but comments good and bad wherever they come up, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, we see all of them for the most part. And so you're Mm -hmm. constantly sort of, you're getting these quick jolts of like dopamine or or feeling somewhat worse about something you did multiple times a day, honestly. Yeah. You know, Uh even (laughs) if it's minor, you're still getting adjusted. I'm always impressed with the people who don't have YouTube studio on their phones uh, or don't check it. You know, I'm always impressed with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is a massive part of the job. You are your goal. You know, inherently, I, I was at this interesting experience on Saturday where it's not actually people I'd, I'd never meet, but I some for some reason ran into more people that watched our channel than maybe any other day in my life. Um, and to the point where it actually got uncomfortable. Like by by the end of the day, I was like looking over my shoulder, being like, "Is someone going to come up to me now?" Like it's been, it almost felt like I was I was with uh, my friend Mike, and he felt like I had like set up the day to show him <laughs> that people actually watch our show. Uh, it, it was a very strange experience, um, and I thought in my head, I was like, the the sheer nature of the goals that we have of experiencing growth over the next year or two will only increase that. Like, isn't that interesting that it's just kind of like it's subjecting yourself to to the uh, judgment or even excitement of more and more and more people uh, is is it's the byproduct of growth. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's growth with any brand, but it's different when the brand is a human being that you can run into. You know, it's different from yeah. like, like when Nike grew, I don't know if how much over time, if you ran into Phil Knight, like, would you have an emotional reaction to him? Here's my gripe with this situation. Okay, all right. <laughs> Tell me. The, the difference between on-camera me and Sunday morning disheveled me <laughs> is, is, is a large gap uh, that okay. is perhaps widening with age. Right. I look like a maniac sure. on a Sunday morning when I'm going to get coffee. Yeah. It's my least favorite time to run into anyone. Mm-hmm. And if I do run into you, please come up to me. <laughs> but just know ahead of but, time, I hope you hear this, I'm sorry. And I'm nervous that you're meeting that version of me. <laughs> so don't get nervous because yeah. I'm the one who's nervous. Right, right. That's my gripe with all of this. Yeah. By the way, I'm... I'm uh, clearly, you can't relate. I, I can't relate because yeah. I enjoy... On camera yeah, you is yeah, Sunday you, apparently. Yeah, that's true. I enjoy meeting people who, who watch our stuff. Um, <laughs> I know. I enjoy it too. I'm just listen, saying. I, you, you're saying you don't have a... On camera you is Sunday morning you? Definitely. Sunday morning me that's is, is up, a great man. time, man. 
this Sunday morning, I woke up, worked out, went to a farmer's market, See, yeah, that's picked up problem. a bunch of stuff, made myself coffee. Like I was like dancing around. Like that's yeah, exactly like, that's the that's, that's where we that's where we differ, and I'm I'm glad that we differ in that way. I think it'd right. be boring if we that's true. if we were the same. Um, so if anyone is interested in a book about YouTube for the holidays, highly recommend the Yes Theory book. Talk to strangers. It's such a good representation of what it's like to be a YouTube creator, and also. You know, looking back at, at at Yes Theory's videos when they were on the rise and even their videos um, today, like it's pretty incredible that they're still to this day releasing the types of the quality of video that they release, the viewership that they do. Like there haven't been that many people have been doing it for that long. Really, there haven't been. And looking at their taxi video, the um, I hired a taxi or I paid a taxi ten thousand dollars to see where it took me. That is five point five million views now. And will only continue to go up. Um, and that's such a good video. And their their most recent series in China, they have a video about throwing a, a party at a stranger's house in China. Great video, so fun. I mean, they're just the best YouTubers. Yeah, I think they're, they're also filmmakers and storytellers. But when it comes to YouTube, they are. Yeah, they're such good YouTubers. They're the best. They're such good. And if YouTubers. you disagree, yeah, come at me. Well, let's talk about a come hot take. Come at me on a here. Sunday if you disagree. <laughs> Let's talk about a hot take here. This was posted on the Reddit. Um, what are the most influential YouTube videos of all time? Hey, all, I was watching an old episode of Creator Support and recently noted, uh, Samir noted that one of his top videos of all time was Make It Count from Casey Neistat. Got me thinking about what my top videos of all time were and which videos were the most influential of all time. We know these videos to be popular in the platform by pure view count. Many of the top ones are music videos or movie trailers, but I'm talking about the culture of YouTube. So which YouTube videos do you think are the most influential of all time, especially those that everyone knows and shifted the meta? And if Colin and Samir see this, what are your top five lists of videos if you had to teach someone about YouTube today? Oh, gosh. Uh, uh, wow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a loaded question. That is a loaded question. But I think, I think there's actually a group discussion for everyone who's listening. I think we should start a thread on our Discord. Um, I think people should tweet this at us. I think we should, by the end of the year, come up with a top five most influential YouTube videos of all time. That would be really cool. It's a, it, I like doing that because it feels impossible. And it's fun. <laughs> It'll be fun to see where we end up. It would be hard to not include me at the zoo, but that's like, we don't have to include that. You no, know, I, one think, of the first I think we got to take that okay, one out. Okay, all right, all right, all right yeah. take that one out. Um, well, so yeah, take I'm, it out. I'm going to say th there's one that I saw uh, that, that I remember seeing, and uh, Mr. Beast has to be one of these videos because I think he's, he's an influenced platform greatly. But there's one that um, I remember, I, the first one of his videos I ever saw was last to take their hand off a Lamborghini wins the Lamborghini. And it's a video that you and I talked about um, where we talked about a term called Jenga storytelling, which essentially meant that as time went on in that video, the stakes increased. But from the minute you clicked onto that video, you knew the end outcome of the video. So similar to a playing a game of Jenga, you set up the Jenga uh, tower and you already know it's going to fall. But what's exciting is as you pull a piece of the Jenga tower, it gets less and less stable and the tension rises as time moves on. And I remember watching that video and, and recognizing that storytelling tactic being used that it was the first time I recognized that he had made a video that in the concept, it made you watch until the end. 
you know, like the sheer concept of someone was going to win this car and you had to watch the entire process. Um, I think that, and there's probably something else in that area, but that was probably a video that influenced how videos are made today on YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I'm just, I've got a lot of nerves right now that I know that it's my opportunity to bring yeah, yeah, it's a video to the yeah, table and one? I just don't, I can give another one. No, no, I just don't have it quite yet, but I'm searching. Um, I, I, I hate to say another Casey video. But I have to. I was trying not to say. I, I know, I know, because I feel like it's just so expected. I know, but I'm gonna say my girlfriend Candace. Yeah, by Casey Neistat. That, that for me personally, that might not be on the global top five list of most influential. But for me personally, his uh, story about him and his his girlfriend, to me, it was one of the first times I had heard a personal story about someone that I could show to any one of my friends. They had no idea who he was. And they immediately became enthralled with the story of him and his girlfriend. So it's one, some of the best storytelling on YouTube I think I've ever seen. I've got one. Okay. L. Mills burnt out at 19. Woo. We saw that live. They did see that live at Buffer Fest. At Buffer Fest. And it got a standing ovation. And the transparency and the vulnerability in this video blew me away. You know, showing recordings that she did on photo booth on her laptop of her just absolutely breaking down mm -hmm. and sharing that with the world when it felt like Elle Mills was at the height of like YouTube stardom. What could be going wrong? Mm -hmm. And to see her bring us through her, her burnout was like, uh, man, it was just incredible. She's such an incredible storyteller and applying it to like a personal journey she was going through was just unbelievable uh i'm gonna have to say i really like that one l mills i think that whole l mills era was incredibly influential mm -hmm. uh i'm gonna i'm gonna say jenna marbles the video about the face you make when someone comes up to you at a bar mm -hmm. that video was shot on a webcam and i think was upwards of of maybe 10 or 20 million views and it was one of the first videos that was passed around that was shot directly into a webcam with someone just being funny on webcam. She, I know she has another one called How to Trick People Into Thinking You're Good Looking. Uh, that was posted 13 years ago, direct into a webcam, 72 million views. You know, like that, that was a moment in time where I think a lot of people realized, wait a second, this is a place where people can just be themselves and talk directly into a cam. Okay. I, I don't know if this is quite a video that has changed YouTube history forever. Okay. If it's the most influential, but uh, Cody Ko and Noel Miller, that's cringe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just the series yeah, yeah, in general, yeah. but specifically. That probably did influence YouTube quite a bit. I feel like it probably did. The commentary genre and watching a video with you and a buddy and, and just laughing with someone. I don't know. These guys, I've sure. watched, I've watched that's cringe vape hot box, which has 20 yeah. million <laughs> views from five years ago. So many times. And I've watched it alone in my room and laughed out loud. And it's actually really hard to kind of make me laugh out loud from watching something. Like I don't really watch mm -hmm. stand up on Netflix or something and laugh out loud, but these guys, like they, they got me. Uh, okay. I'm going to say one that's very specific to us. 
uh, Oscar Boyce and the Future of Cities. Mm. Yeah. That is a YouTube video that was filmed with the help of a bunch of people. He put a call out to people from all over the world to film their cities and made this video, 18-minute um, video that was meant to be a conversation starter about how the future of, of city layouts could look. Um, I think that's specific to us, but it was a really, really cool video that that changed the way I thought about storytelling. Highly recommend it. All right, well, we got to put this list together, so we need your help. Please tweet at us, put it in the Discord. What are the five most influential YouTube videos of all time? We will put this forum together uh, on, on our Discord, and I would love to see what you guys think, because this is like, how can we all agree on this? There'll have to be an Emma Chamberlain video in there somewhere. Probably. Her impact is obviously wild. What I don't want to be self-serving, but our original interview with Mr. Beast potentially, I mean, like, I think he he said some stuff in there that a lot of people in in today's world uh, in making videos probably took to heart. I would say that probably falls in line with the same thing of like the Lamborghini video, though. Like his his storytelling style and his formula of keeping people's attention till the end. Damn, that interview has 20 million views as well. I, wow. Yeah, and and it has um, 50 minutes of ABD, Colin. <laughs> That's long. Someone was prepared. 20 million people watching 50 minutes. Yeah. Um, okay. Question from Tim ITW. Picking from a video idea list. I have a ton of video ideas that I think would do great, but I don't have a process for refining my list. Any insight on how you decide which idea is most worth your time? So it's an it's a very good question. I get a very I get incredibly excited about video ideas. You know, I'll write them down and be like, I'll text Colin and be like, this is this is a great idea. We should do this, we should pursue it. And then we'll kind of push, push, push. Um but one thing that I really like to think about um is take your idea list and go from idea to how long do you think it takes to make that idea happen? And then write out what are the steps involved to make the idea happen? There's going to be now a new organization of your idea list from ideas that take one day to make, ideas that take one week to make, ideas that take one month to make, and ideas that take multiple months to make. And you basically need a healthy mix of some of those. Like your multi-month ideas are probably really fun, good ideas, but you have to look at them and go, am I willing to commit to this idea for a couple months, right? Or do I like this idea just enough to work on it for a week? Like, where do you stand with your ideas? And then when you think about this premise of like return or ROI on putting work into an idea, the ideas that only take a day or two um, or that have a limited amount of steps and that you control fully those, no matter what, are going to have the highest return on your investment, right? So if you look at an idea and you're like, oh, that's that's a great idea. It, it involves me writing a script and hosting that to camera and then editing the video. That's a that's an interesting production cycle. But if it's it, in, it involves me reaching out to NASA and trying to spend a day at NASA, you're like, that might be a year-long process of figuring that out. And then once I go... I get all this footage that might be me hiring an editor to help me pare it down and figure out the story. So those are, they're, they're different lengths of time and different amounts of investment into your own idea. So I would take this a step further and go, how long does this video 
concept take and what are the steps involved to make it happen? This is fresh off my mind because we are uh, producing this this uh, this worksheet and and this this framework for for the course that's all about idea generation and how to think about your ideas to ensure that you have content coming out on a consistent basis. Uh, it's actually something that we're going to send out to everyone in our waitlist, so you guys can get like a taste of the course. If you aren't on the waitlist yet uh, and you're familiar with what we're doing with the course and interested in it, colinandsamir.com, that's how you get on it and you'll get this video about ideas and idea generation. Um, but that would be my, that would be how I would approach this right now is in how much time do you have and how much, how many resources do you have to invest in these ideas? For me, the first thing that came to mind when I saw this question was when we spoke with Zach King as a part of the Creator Roundtable two parts to what he said that I think apply here and are interesting. The first being, um, you know, when it comes to refining your ideas, having an understanding of what stage the idea is in. And he talks about, you know, building up the idea always first. And when you have the idea, just trying to be additive, what would make it even better? What would make it uh, the best possible video? And then once you get to that point of really knowing what would make it best, you go through all those layers, then start thinking about logistics and understanding, okay, now what are actually the barriers to making this happen? That'll, as Samir was talking about, help you have a better idea of like, what are you actually getting into if you say yes to this idea? And then the second part of what Zach King talked about was making sure that every idea he greenlights is something that could be watched 5, 10, 15 years from the time it comes out. You know, is it about a common human emotion or even, you know, does it involve uh, a human habit? Like he, he brought up standing in lines. I'll make a video that has to do with standing in lines. He said, I'm pretty confident lines will be around five, 10 years mm -hmm. from now. And it is important if you're going to invest a ton of time in your idea to make sure that for time to come, it can actually be watched, especially when it comes to YouTube. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I also think, you know, sometimes your ideas are really fun and, and you like the ideas, but they might not make sense for your channel. And that's a, that's a really important piece to think about, like the audience you want to build. And if these ideas, which one of these, these ideas are inside of that world of this matches my audience and which one of these ideas are... um you know, kind of just ideas that you have that you want to make that don't really match the channel that you're building. That mm -hmm. that sometimes happens to us or or to me specifically when I think of ideas. Um, but yeah, we have this this idea framework. If um, you want to check it out, sign up at colinandsamir.com. It's going to be free um, that we'll send out. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be helpful to to think about. And there's different like styles of ideation that we talk about there that I think would be really helpful. Feels like we may have made it to the deep end. We're in the deep end. I'll read a gripe from a uh, from the Reddit. Samir's speech patterns. Does anyone else notice that Samir's speech patterns seem to adjust to that of whoever he is guesting on the pod? Maybe I just noticed it more with Emma Chamberlain, but I just figured I'd ask. Not saying it's bad. I think it's actually more normal than people think. Just figured I'd ask if others noticed. Whoa, not saying it's bad. <laughs> I actually think it's a really normal thing anyone would do. So this is really funny because this is something that I, my brother and I used to make fun of my mom for. 
uh, like she just would match exactly how the person she was talking to talked. So I guess I do it too. Didn't even notice. So are you matching me? No, they're probably not with you. Because I talked. So I've what am I hearing right now? Whose voice is this that you're speaking? This, to? <laughs> I think this is me. This is the real you. I think this is the real me speech pattern. But I do have a very specific speech pattern. I think yeah, our you entire, just did it right there. I think our yeah yeah our entire team would know that it's like what is it? It's like it's just like waves. Yeah. That's today's gripe from from you. That's good. That's yeah. a good community gripe. That's a good community gripe. <laughs> Tasteful and nice that, you know, said, hey, it's a gripe, yeah. but it's normal. It's yeah. totally normal. Um, okay, we are recording a few more episodes this year, and I feel like I want to do an episode looking back on the year, talking about trends from 2023, talking about predictions for 2024. Uh, so I'd love to to hear your guys' input on that. Obviously, want to hear you uh, on your most influential YouTube video. So we will start that up in the Discord um, Colin, any last gripes? No, I, I, my main gripe is, is with Sunday me versus on camera. Me. Sure. Okay. And, Don't um, go up to Colin. And now, no, no. And now the gripe is yeah. that with you, that you <laughs> are not like that. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of creator support. We will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>